Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Eric Devonier, and I'm here today with Ben. Welcome, Ben. Happy to be here. Thanks for being here. Um, wondering, Ben, if, if you would take a minute and just introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, so I was born uh, and raised in the church. My parents are both converts from the Seattle area. They joined the church a year after they got married on the same day, and they have often argued about who got baptized first that day, <laughs> but we're pretty sure it was my mom. <laughs> uh, and I'm the youngest of four, and uh, happy, active, raised in the church. I started a mission in Chihuahua, Mexico when I was 19. Okay. Uh, and then I have three degrees from BYU that I call my three degrees of glory. <laughs> and I have a PhD from the University of Arizona. Oh, wow. And what's your PhD in? It's in second language acquisition and teaching, which means wow. I study how people learn languages and how to teach language. And I taught Spanish for a number of years. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, and I just recently became a therapist. I have a master's in social work now. Wow, so it's just kind of a broad spectrum of things you can do. You, broad, uh, you broad can pay skills. me to do a number of things yeah. if you wanted to. <laughs> That's great. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, we talked about your parents' conversion, but tell us a little bit about your conversion to the church. You're, you know, you're, you're born, born into a, a family that, of members, um, but how does your conversion, how does that happen? Yeah. Um, you know, when you're raised in the church, it's, it's the thing you do. You know, you go to church, you read the scripture, it's just what you do. And I remember the first time I felt like I knew that the church was true. And it was when I went to um, youth conference when I was 14 years old. Uh, and I had a good time that weekend. And then we had a, a fast, not a fast testimony, meeting, just a testimony meeting with, with the youth. And I remember hearing my peers share their testimonies of the Savior and feeling like a warm blanket was wrapped around me. I felt like, a, like the physical presence of God almost. And I, just, wow. I just knew it was true. And I remember walking out of the, the building that day and walking across this field and just thinking, how can I ever go back to playing video games? Like, how can I ever watch TV again? Like, like wow, I know what yeah. this like, goodness feels like. Like, how can I do these mundane things that I, that I used to do? And, uh, and ever since then, I felt like I just really knew that God, that God lived and that he was real and that, and that this was his church. Wow. And so that, that carries you through from that moment to your mission, mm -hmm. imagine, in Mexico. Yeah. And, um, and I was so excited for a mission. I just wanted <laughs> to find Buzz and Janine Shalati. I wanted to find my parents because yeah. the gospel meant so much to me. Yeah. I wanted to share that with others. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanting to, to spread you know, that joy that you had found, right? That, that feeling that you had discovered at youth conference to, with other people, yeah, which is exactly. fantastic. But as often happens uh, you know, in, in, our, in our path of discipleship, uh, there are difficulties that crop up, right? Uh, complexities that happen. So what for you has been a complexity that you've had to deal with in, in your life? Yeah, the biggest thing has been my sexuality. So when I was in sixth grade, I first realized I was attracted to other boys. Mm -hmm. And this was back in the 90s when it wasn't okay in society to, to be gay. And so mm -hmm. I didn't want to be gay and I wasn't gay. And I hated having these feelings. But they didn't really trouble me a ton because I was going to go on my mission that would fix me. And people talk about like making a deal with God, like if I serve you, then you'll right. fix me. Right. I didn't do that because th that's just how it worked. I didn't feel like I had to do that. So I went on my mission fully expecting that, that God would fix me and that those feelings would go away and, I would, and my feelings towards men would be replaced with feelings to, for right. women. And it wasn't until I got home from my mission when I was 21, um, the, the first time that I ever called myself gay. I've been home for a mission for about three days, and I was in my parents' rec room oh. watching a TV show, and there was yeah. an attractive man on it. And I remember feeling attracted to him and realizing that those feelings were still there and thinking, oh my gosh, this didn't work. And I remember praying that day and saying, for the first time, Heavenly Father, I think I'm gay, and I don't want to be. And that started two years of my life where I very, very carefully went to the temple every day and prayed regularly and fasted to, to have these feelings go away. Wow. Um, you know, you're, you're home off your mission for three days and you, and you have that experience, you know, with, with the TV. And I, I just can't imagine how that would feel 
um, because there you are thinking, your assumptions are, I've done all of these things, I've finished my mission, now everything should be the way that I, I want it to be. Right. And then you realize it's not. So how, how did that feel for you? I mean, what did it feel like in that moment? I mean, you'd, you'd have to feel, I would imagine, betrayed to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I would say betrayal is is a little stronger than how I felt. Okay. Maybe just disappointed. Yeah. Um, but the the way I felt was, you know, I thought I would go on my mission, and then that this would be the outcome. But then there were I had no concept that my that my feelings of same sex attraction were, were going to remain. I knew that they were going to go away. I just had to make sure that I did the right things so they would go away. And so I tried to be like Nephi, and he said, you know, if you go and do, God will prepare the way. So I tried to do the very best I could to be straight. And there, was, there wow. were a couple semesters of my, of my time at BYU where I decided to go on a date with a different woman every week. And I, up, to, up to now, I've been on 27 blind dates, and I've been out with probably 100 unique women. So I've spent wow. thousands of dollars and many hundreds of hours <laughs> trying to get married. Uh, yeah. And so th I just had no concept these feelings weren't gonna change. And it wasn't until I'd been home for two years, okay. and I'd been dating like crazy, and praying, and fasting, and going to the temple, and doing what we used to call home teaching, and you know, all those things, yeah. that when, when things didn't change, then I thought, well, maybe this isn't gonna go away. And that's when I finally started to think, well, how am I supposed to live my life as a gay person? Because the only way I thought I could live was as a straight person, and I thought that's what, that's what was gonna happen. Right. So, so what did you do from that point? So when you realize, okay, this isn't gonna go away, I have to figure out how to live now. I still have this testimony that I've, that, I've, that I've had ever since I was young that I've nurtured, and yet I have to figure out how do I do this as a gay person? Where do you take it from there? Yeah, so at this point in my life, I hated my sexuality so much. I felt so much shame. I would have done anything to get rid of it. And there was an, an interview that came out um, with Elder Oaks and Elder Wickman around that time that I read, and I just devoured all those words. And one of the things they said was that feelings of same-sex attraction didn't exist in the pre-earth life and they won't exist in the next life. And I thought, I want to get rid of these feelings so bad, I just wish I could die. And I have never been suicidal, but there were, there were times where I thought, well, I would just be so great if I could just get cancer. Then I could die a hero, and I wouldn't have to deal with this. It, it, was, it was a dark wow. time for me. Yeah. It was really dark. And then when I've been home for about two years, um, one of my friends uh, from my ward randomly just stopped by our apartment and announced to the whole apartment that one of her friends had just come out to her at dinner. And up to this point, it hadn't occurred to me that there were other gay students at BYU. I thought I was the only one. Yeah. And so I had to do this delicate dance of trying to get information from her because I was so intrigued, but not be curious enough that they would, want to, that they right. would think I was gay. Right. And so um, one of the things she said was there were gay BYU students who wrote anonymous blogs about their experiences. So as soon as she left, I went into my room and I googled gay BYU student blog and found about a dozen. And at first it was so good to know there were other people going through my same experience. It was yeah. so healing to know that I wasn't alone. Uh, but then almost all of them started out like this. They would say, I'm so-and-so, I'm gay, and I'm active in the church, and I'm gonna stay that way, I'm gonna be faithful. And then by the end, almost all of them left the church. And I thought, well, is that my story too? Is that what's gonna happen to me too? Right. And I started to get really scared. And I remember one night just letting my mind wander down the two paths I thought I could take. If, you know, if I stay in the church, and I'm gonna be lonely and sad for the rest of my life. If I leave the church and find a same-sex partner, I'm gonna have to leave behind this gospel, these teachings that I love, and it just both choices just felt too hard to make. Yeah, that, that's incredible. I mean, just that image of this, this kind of fork in the road, yeah. and you feel like you've gotta go one way or the other. Mm -hmm. and, and both ways have you know, with them some type of fulfillment, but they also have something that has to, has to go away, yeah, something exactly. that you love. So how did you, how did you deal with that fork in the road? Yeah, I remember, I remember that night when I finally let my mind wander down the two paths I thought I could take, kneeling mm -hmm. on the ground and telling Heavenly Father that 
if he needed me to be lonely and sad for the next 60 years, I was willing to do that to show him that I could be faithful. And I got up from my knees not feeling any better, and I randomly opened up my scriptures to Alma 40, verse 8, and there's a line there that says, time is measured only to man. I thought, well, I just told God I'm willing to be lonely and sad for 60 years. And he said, well, that's not that long. And I thought that was my answer. I was just going to have to be miserable for the rest of my life, and then I would die and I could be happy. Wow. Um, and I got to a point where I just couldn't do it on my own anymore. And, and uh, one day, my best friend from high school called me, Mitch, and invited me to go on a walk with him, which is something we had never done. And I asked my roommate, Craig, who was my best friend at the time, if he wanted to go on this walk, and he agreed, and also something we'd never done. And so we were walking through Kiwanis Park in East Provo, and I just knew I had to tell them. And I started to get so nervous, I thought I was going to vomit. Like, I felt physically ill, like the thought of telling them this awful yeah. thing. And I finally got up enough courage to ask if we could sit on the grass, and I told them a phrase that I'd stolen from one of the blogs, which was, for as long as I can remember, I've been more attracted to men than women, because that was easier to digest than saying I'm gay. Mm -hmm. And they both responded with love and kindness, and I remember turning to Craig and saying, I understand if you don't want to be my roommate anymore. And he said, why wouldn't I want to be your roommate? You're the same person you've always been. And so that was the beginning of my healing, knowing that if people knew this thing that I thought was so awful and gross and terrible about me, that they were still going to treat me the same. And knowing that they still loved and cared about me gave me permission to love and care about myself too. Yeah. Wow. And, and so, you know, you have that moment there with your, with your roommates. How did, the, how did um, coming out to loved ones and others, how did the rest of that go yeah. as you sort of talk to other people about it? Yeah, I've come out to hundreds of people, including yeah. on my blog. So, you know, if, if you know two things about me, you know that I'm a Larry Saint, you know that I'm gay. Like, those are the two things everyone knows about <laughs> me, if you know anything. Um, and uh, it's almost always been a really wonderful experience. Um, and almost every time, the, the conversation turns to my testimony of the Savior and of the Restoration. And because of that, I, I found that my sexuality becomes the main vehicle through which I bear my testimony. And that, so it's become a really marvelous experience for me. The, the hardest times are coming out to people who are no longer active in the church or who aren't members of the church. Most of my family aren't members of the church. And you know, they're just kind of confused. Like, well, just be gay. Like, why are you part of oh, this sure. stupid religion? Right. And they don't understand that. Right. And so with half of the people in my life, I have to explain to them like, how it's okay that I'm gay. And to the other half of my life, I have to tell them, like, it's okay that I'm a Latter-day Saint. Right. Yeah, because that tension is, is still there, that, that feeling of, of um, that part of you, um, you know, that, that part of you that you have, um, or I should say, you know, the fact that you're, that you're gay and then that you have this testimony, that, that tension still exists. Yeah. Right? And it's continued through your life. Um, I, I'm interested in, in how your family responded, both like your, your immediate, maybe your, your uh, extended family. Yeah, so uh, I came out to, to my two best friends in the summer of 2007. I told my parents that Thanksgiving. And I had no doubt that they were going to love me and care about me. I could have come home with tattoos and a beer in my hand and a <laughs> husband, and they would have just welcomed me home. Like, I knew that. <laughs> oh, good. And, uh, and they, they responded exactly as I would have expected. They were, they were so loving and kind. And... Uh, uh, my mom just told me she loved me. She asked me if I thought it was a phase, and I said, I hope so. And my dad said, well, you're probably better off being single because being married is hard, you know. <laughs> you know, typical dad, like, well, yeah, things could be worse. They'll be yes. grateful for what you got. Yeah, the dad joke, yeah. And, you know, my, my, my parents really wanted me to, to work to overcome it, which is what I wanted, too. And so about once a year, my dad would say, so how's that whole same-sex attraction thing going? And I would say, good. And my mom would say, we love you. And that was about it. That's all we ever talked about it. Uh, and they tried to have conversations. I just didn't yeah. want to. And when I was 30, so five years ago, um, I just, 
I wasn't sure I could stay in the church. I just felt like I was trapped. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I opened up to my parents, just kind of unloaded 30 years of experiences on them. Yeah. And my mom said to me, you know, the most faithful woman you'll find, she said, Ben, if you need to leave the church and marry a man, you and he will always be part of our family. And so by honoring my agency and telling me that no matter what I did, I was going to be her son, that gave me the freedom to, to know, like, should I, should I go or should I stay? Because I felt trapped, like I had to stay. And then as I got to explore that on my own and reconcile my will with God's will, and as I pointed myself to Christ, I felt pointed to his church. And interestingly, I had the same conversation with, with my siblings. I said, you know, I'm not sure I can stay. And they all said, if you leave, you will always be welcome in our home. And yeah. that did so much good for me because that's not the reaction that a lot of people get. Right, right. And, and you know, that, that leads me to, um, to two questions you know, about that process and about your experience is, you know, look at, looking back at your life, what's, what's a piece of advice you would give to um, a Latter-day Saint who is struggling with same-sex attraction? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is, you know, this is my story, my experiences, and I don't want to be anyone's example. So no one should try and do what I'm doing. But some principles that I share are that your values and your behaviors have to be in alignment. And that if you have certain values, you're not living up to those, you're not going to be happy. And so it's not my job to prescribe anyone's values for them, but your values and your behaviors have to be the same if you want to thrive in life. So that's something I often share. Um, the other thing I say is I made so many decisions based on fear, and we need to make decisions based on faith. Because I thought, well, I'm going to be lonely and sad for the rest of my life. If this happens, then I'm just then I just made so many decisions based on fear. And so I encourage people, you know, make decisions based on faith. And the other thing I would say is don't focus on outcomes. Focus on faith. Because I thought I had to be married to be happy. Yeah. I thought I had to have a family to be happy. You know, I thought I had to do X, Y, and Z to be happy. You know, all these outcomes were the, right, were the right thing. Right. But you know, if you told me 10 years ago I'd be living the life I'm living now and I would love it, I would have thought you were crazy. Yeah. You know, and God can see so much more than we can see. Right. And uh, there, there are two scriptures I'd like to share. One of them is 1 Corinthians 2.9. And it roughly says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of the children of men the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And then DNC 58.3 that says, uh, Ye cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning those things which will come hereafter, and the glory that will fall after much tribulation. And so I used to try and envision my life and what it was going to be, and I just learned that, you know, I can't do that. Like, I don't know what life is going to look like when I'm 45 or 55 or 65 or 75, if I make it that long. Um, but I know that if I focus on, on keep staying connected to heaven and receiving inspiration, that my life is going to be amazing. Yeah, and that's that, that focus, you know, the, the interesting distinction between faith and outcomes, that those aren't the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. that, that just, and it in some ways goes back to um, what you experienced as, a, as an adolescent, that, that feeling of, I don't like how I'm feeling, I don't, I, don't, I don't like this, but if I keep doing the right thing, I'll get that outcome. Yep. And, and it sounds like what you're talking about now is um, the outcome... I mean, it matters to some extent, but it's not what I focus on. I focus on my relationship uh, with God and, and making sure those things are aligned, which is was wonderful. Yeah. The, the other piece of advice, and I, and I think, you know, that's fantastic advice for those who are um, who are going through this experience. But uh, on the the outside of that, what advice would you give to to parents, uh, siblings, friends of Latter Day Saints um, who are same sex attracted? Yeah. There is so much advice I could give, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I but the, the main piece of advice I would give is yeah. to be proximate. 
What I mean by that, this, this comes from Brian Stevenson, who wrote, who wrote a great book. Um, about, he talks about the importance of being close to people who are different. And we need to get close to people who have different experiences than we have. So if you have a gay loved one in your life, you need to really dig into that experience and really sit with them and be with them in those experiences. And so um, I, I would say if you have a gay loved one, you know, sit down with them in a loving, humble way and say, you know, what, is this, what has this experience been like for you? You know, what has, has experience in same-sex attraction or being gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, like, like what, has that, what has that been like for you? Um, I would ask, you know, how can I help you? And I would ask, you know, you, you use this label, same-sex attraction or gay, lesbian, bisexual, what do those labels mean to you? And I would ask, how can I help? And I would ask, do you want to talk about this more? Because when I first came out, I had so many things I wanted to, like, I'd been holding this in for 23 years, and there were yeah. so many things I wanted to say, and it was so awkward every time I brought it up. So when someone said, Ben, thank you for sharing that last week. What else did you want to say that you hadn't been able to say before? And then just opening up the dialogue was so healing for me, so yeah. I didn't always have to do it. Well, because it, it sounds like, you know, from, from your experience, um, one of the, the, you know, central feelings that you felt was isolation. Definitely. Right? And, and you'd mentioned shame before, too, and all, that, that's an isolating feeling, yeah. that not sure how, how my roommates are going to respond. I mean, you'd even said, right, in that story that you told your roommate, if you don't want to be roommates with me anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just that assumption. And then to have someone who's willing to listen, mm-hmm. um, I, I just think um, that's good, I think, for all of us. To, to be aware of yeah. um, and, and love the idea of proximity, just yeah. how important that is in, in all the relationships we have with people, but I think especially those that feel isolated. Definitely, and, and this reflects uh, advice that President Ballard gave at a BOU devotional in November 2017, where he said we need to listen to and understand what our LGBT brothers and sisters are feeling and experiencing. And we really need to do a much better job of listening and understanding. There have been times when I've come out to people where they've decided to preach to me and tell me things. And you know, it always comes from a good place, but you know, I've been thinking about this my entire life and, <laughs> and, yeah, and every, right. almost every time it's come off as really trite and hollow. Uh, but the people who really like sit down and ask me questions and listen, like those, those have been the most right. holy experiences for me. Wow. And, and just another question um, along those lines, we've talked about you know, family members and, and young um, Latter-day Saints who are struggling with same-sex attraction. But what about for, for priesthood leaders and, and for other people in, in a ward structure, maybe young men's presidents, young women presidents, what would you say to them about how they can help um, just in their roles in the church and serving in the church? Yeah, so the, the youth today are hungry for this topic. They have gay friends at school and transgender friends, and they just want to know like, how this fits in with the gospel. So if we can have discussions about, about LGBT issues at church, I think that would be amazing. And it's not like we need to say, you know, today is LGBT day. You know, I don't think that's how it needs to work, but Elder Holland is such a good example. In a conference talk in, what was like 2015, we talked about mothers. Yeah. He talked yeah. about um, a missionary who came home who, who was gay, and, and he said, and no one, and he didn't change, and no one expected him to. You know, his talk wasn't about, loving a gay kid, yeah. but that came out organically in what he was saying. Yeah. And if we can just you know, talk about LGBT issues in organic ways and just make it part of our, you know, the, our regular discourse, I think that would do a lot of good. Yeah. Because almost every time I've heard homosexuality brought up in church, it's in the context of it being a sin. Right. Um, but you know, it's not a sin. And, it, and, and Elder Ballard also said that it's not a choice, it's a complex reality, and as a church, we should be reaching out yeah. with love and kindness. Yeah. And, and so if we could talk about the, those principles re- more regularly in church, that it's, it's not a choice, it's a complex reality, and that we should be reaching out with love and kindness, 
I think that would do, do a lot of good. Um, and one, one of the ways I often recommend that, that priesthood leaders talk about this issue is framing it in the context of, of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because the good, that parable was prompted by two questions. A lawyer asked Jesus first, how do you gain eternal life? And then he says, you love God and you love your neighbor. And then he says, well, who's your neighbor? And to answer that question, he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. And who was a Samaritan? The Samaritan was someone that everyone he was talking to would have hated because he was, an apostate, he was an apostate and not welcome in the community. And that was the example of the person that he gave that was gonna to go to heaven. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. And uh, you know, I think we do a lot of judging, and I think we do a lot better job of not judging people who make choices different than ours. Yeah. Uh, most of my LGBT friends who, who have been or are members of church aren't actively participating anymore. And, uh, and honestly, I, I wish everyone could stay and would stay, but you know, that's their choice, and I need to honor their agency. Yeah. And so um, you know, I would talk about that, you know, what do we do when someone leaves? How are we going to show them love and kindness? How are we going to include them in our, in our circles of love, even if they're choosing a path different than the one that we've chosen for ourselves? Yeah, yeah. it's often, you know, sometimes I think, um, and, and maybe, maybe you've experienced this, but, but I always cringe a little bit um, in certain situations where um, maybe, you know, whether, whether it's homosexuality or even some other things, where people will make a comment about people that aren't like them because they think they're in a room full of people like them. Yeah. That, and that, that assumption, I think, can be, uh, can be hurtful but all, and also isolating. Definitely. Right? That, that someone's, like, um, you know, makes a comment about, about gays or, or whatever and they, they just don't realize, well... Yeah, because obviously we're all straight in this room. room. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, that's a really good thing, I think, to keep in mind that those are good conversations to have. I love the idea of it being organic. Mm -hmm. And then also keeping in mind, how, could, how would that feel if, if somebody in this room is, is, you know, um, is suffering with that, struggling, having some questions, feeling isolated? How can we help them? And that's a really great perspective, I think, in, in a lot of ways, but, but especially in this case yeah. where, it's, um, where it can be so isolating. You know, as you talk about that, that fork in the road that you had to stare mm -hmm. at, that's a really tough place to be in. Um, and, and I think uh, our, our community, um, our religion, reaching out more and being sensitive to that can only help yeah. right, rather than hinder. Definitely. Can I give one more piece of advice? Of course. So the church has a website called counselingresources.churchofjesuschrist.org, and it's specifically for church leaders, so you have to be on a stake or ward council uh, to have access to it. So like a relief site president, a bishop, all these people have access to it. And there's a tab, so there are tough topics that are hard for church leaders to, to handle. And so they have a same-sex attraction tab and it uh, gives some advice, you know, what to do when someone comes out and how to help them. And, and one of the things it says in there, it says encourage them to seek their own inspiration on how to live their life. And too often priest leaders say, well, you know, just do this and this and this. And the most important thing we can teach any member is to seek inspiration from the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Uh, and when I did that, when I, when I started to find out what God wanted for me, then none of my behaviors changed. Like I had always been acting in the church and I stayed that way. Like none of my behaviors changed, but the reason I was doing it changed. And yeah. that made all the difference in the yeah. world. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for being willing to share uh, your experience and then your advice, which is just really, really helpful. Of course. So thank you so much. 